0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast, that's right, Getting Over is back. Once again, we have a loaded show on deck. We're going to talk everything that happened on the season premieres of SmackDown and Raw. We're also going to talk about some major controversy going on in the WWE women's division between Becky Lynch and namely Charlotte Flair. And WWE actually released the vast majority of its 2022 pay-per-view schedule. Uh, early this week we will talk about that before the show is out like I said a loaded episode of the getting over wrestling podcast some may even say it's a stacked show I don't know if I would say that others may potentially say that but the way we start these loaded editions of getting over and really any edition of this show is by reminding you that this podcast so please folks stop hassling us Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Like, I don't have to do this intro on every show. If you guys just head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review, let people know why you listen to the show, why they should listen to the show, and why they should subscribe. Tell them about the instant analysis, the great interviews, the in-depth talk about WWE, AEW, and beyond. Tell them why you listen. If it's all... You know, big meaty men slapping meat adjacent stuff. <laughs>
1: big meaty men slapping meat.
0: <laughs> I mean, there's a guy, our last review, it says thick meat. That's the whole review, but it's five stars. It's good, okay? So anything like that, I don't care what you write, as long as it's good and as long as it's true, uh, you know, hit that five-star button, tell people why they should listen to the show. I'd greatly appreciate it. Also, please, please, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. I really want to break. That 1,000 follower mark, we're close. Um, but when we hit that 1,000 follower mark, we can do some other cool things with Twitter spaces and some other cool features that Twitter has. We can't actually use those yet because we're not yet at that number. It's a key number for some reason. Uh, so please help get us there. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Like I said, it's a jam packed show today, a lot to talk about. So allow me to welcome in vintage Chris Vanini, my co host on these shows. Chris. You know, this is the WWE episode. we got a lot to talk about. I kind of want to, as always, give like an overview of the programming that we just watched uh, before we get into breaking it down bit by bit with the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and anything else that we want to talk about throughout the show. Smackdown for me on Friday. I don't know if you agree, but I thought it was an odd episode, and we'll break it down, of course, in a moment, but for a two-hour show with a brand new roster, They gave us less than 20 minutes of wrestling on the entire show. The wrestling we did get included a rematch, a champion losing a non-title match, and no women at all. Uh, Three of the four matches were five minutes or less. The longest was nine minutes. Then over on Raw, it was equally as strange. It felt in some respects fresh with new faces, especially in the main event scene. And it was not a bad show. In fact, I wouldn't say either of them were a bad show, but... All except two matches on Raw were extremely short to the same degree I just mentioned about SmackDown. There were not really any major promos or talent introductions from all of these new people that we should get excited about. It was supposed to be a season premiere, but it really just felt like any other show with the exception of the main event. And coming out of a really damn good Crown Jewel pay-per-view that, look, raised expectations for me. I said, wow. WWE really delivered on this show, and for being a Blood Muddy in the Sand show, like it was even a greater shock, despite us both going in with big expectations. Both season premiere episodes, to me, they fell flat. WWE, it felt, spent so much time booking the draft, so much energy and effort booking Crown Jewel, that it felt like it almost didn't know what to do once that was over.
1: Well, this is the problem with the whole... Calendar in which they do things: doing a draft, then doing a uh, Saudi Arabia show, then uh, then doing season premieres, and then doing Survivor Series afterward. This is always a messy time of year. Now, I assume the reason they call it season premieres is because of TV situations and the way quarters work. I I, I don't know, but this it's it's not the season premiere. The season premiere of wrestling is the day after WrestleMania. Correct. And WrestleMania is the finale. That's how it, it's just it's how it is. And it's how, it, it's how it, it should be. It's how it yeah. should be. It, it, yes. In in wrestling storylines, that's what it is. So it's always weird when they call it season premiere. I I understand trying to make certain episodes feel like a bigger deal, but if you're gonna try to make it a bigger deal, if you're gonna call it the season premiere and try to explain that this is the start of a new era, which is something they said then you got to start a new era, and they really didn't. And if they did, it doesn't bode well for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, the truth is what you said. The, the season premiere, the new start of the, of the season, the year in WWE, should be the Monday Night Raw right after WrestleMania. You wipe everything clean, or as many things clean as you possibly can, and you move forward. I would allow an argument if you said, you know what, that's the wrong time of year to do it. Right. We have March Madness going on in the Masters and there's big sporting events. It's the spring. You know, a lot of people don't really get juiced until after the summer when the fall starts again. Right. When and if you're WWE, hey, we want to go into competition and we want to put our best foot forward with all new brands and exciting things to combat football. Right. Let's say you want to do it that way. OK. Do the exact same thing after SummerSlam. SummerSlam ends. Yeah. Um, you're, you already have money in the bank in the books. So you, you have these briefcases floating around, hopefully, right? They're not cashed in already. SummerSlam ends, that next Raw, you're starting your new season. You have a draft, you know, right away. Maybe those are the next two episodes. the, the Monday and Friday, you have two draft episodes. And then you start kind of rolling on with those rosters. And if October needs to be your season premieres, it still can be. It's only one month later. But You're kind of resetting the calendar. You're resetting your year and you have enough time to actually create brand loyalty ahead of Survivor Series instead of it feeling completely forced. I like it after Mania better. I'm just saying after SummerSlam, it could work, right? But you're right. The calendar, the way they did this, it's all screwed up. Um, In the last two years, once the Fox deal started, they would do the first week of October would be the season premieres. They would then do the draft the next week. And then the following week, would be, hey, we have new rosters, come check us out. So there were three weeks in a row of appointment television, at least in their minds, but they screwed that up this year because of Crown Jewel and because of how they chose to do things. But my greatest frustration was, okay, you have these new rosters. Now, they've already spoiled it because we've seen these new roster people on the brands the last couple of weeks, even though they weren't really supposed to be. But, so they've already spoiled it. You have your new rosters. What I want right away, especially, especially Chris, while Survivor Series is coming up. So you do not need to be creating exceptionally strong individual brand storylines to build to a pay-per-view, right? It's one thing if you're building to the December pay-per-view or the Royal Rumble, where you need to make sure Roman Reigns is a really strong challenger and you need to make sure Big E has a really strong challenger. They're not doing that. There is not another individual brand pay-per-view for a month and a half at this point. Sorry, Two months. I don't even think there's a December pay per view. I think the next one is January 1st. So they have the entire rest of 2021 where they do not have, they're not going to have a pay per view title match for the Universal Championship, the WWE Championship, or the rest of the titles. So what I do if I'm WWE, and we'll get into this momentarily, Chris, but I'm booking all those other little television feuds that you want to satisfy your fans, people want to see, but maybe you as WWE, as bookers, don't see as main event feuds for your big shows. For example, Liv Morgan, right? You know how badly the audience wants her to get a title shot? Really badly, right? So if you have this two-month period of time right now, and it's actually slightly longer than that, why don't you start creating a feud for her with Becky Lynch? You know Becky, as the champion, is going to face Charlotte or we think at Survivor Series, we'll get into that. Why not develop a three-week storyline with Liv Morgan where she wins two matches, becomes number one contender, fights Becky Lynch for the title on TV, and loses? Guess what you've done? You've elevated Liv Morgan. Why mm-hmm. not do the same thing with Apollo Cruz? Yes, the feud with Big E, we're tired of it, right? But he's on Raw now. Why don't you have him come out and say, hey, Big E, you know, I, I beat you for the title, for the Intercontinental title. We have this whole thing. I want a shot at the WWE Championship. You do a two week feud, you give Apollo Crews a WWE Championship match. He loses. Biggie continues moving on. Why not take this time that you've given yourself based on scheduling to book your new talent on new brands? And I'm not saying Biggie and Apollo is the most exciting thing, I could have come up with a better example. But why not do that and create some interest and momentum? Oh, they're f- featuring new people. And then you can still go back to your old standbys once it starts mattering.
1: Yeah, I I always think about this back when SmackDown and Raw first re-split and they didn't have a pay-per-view every month. So they had to fill some time. And they did a three-week feud between AJ Styles and James Ellsworth. And you know what? It was fun. James Ellsworth Ellsworth got a couple of weird wins on AJ, but he didn't win the title. And it was just like, it was a nice little like short couple of week little story that doesn't have to be some big thing if you don't want it to. And that's the kind of thing you can do now over the rest of 2020, while also, you know, building around Survivor Series building to, to day one. So yeah, there's an opportunity to do these types of things you maybe don't want to give a pay-per-view. But the history of WWE, and for the most part, what we saw Friday and and Monday is that they're probably not going to do that.
0: Yeah, they're just doing the same shit, right? Like, Mm -hmm. this is an opportunity for the Tony Storms and the Zelina Vegas, right? The Dewdrops and and the Shayna Baszlers and all these people who WWE does not consider to be main event women. um, It's an opportunity to give them opp- chances, give them chances to pop the crowd and show you that, Hey, maybe they do deserve that opportunity. Oh, wow. Wow. The fans really do love Liv Morgan. Maybe we should give her the title in six months, not now, right? Cause this was just a test run, but six months from now, right. now we have a new person that we can elevate. That's the whole purpose of doing these types of things. And it's really frustrating that WWE does not see that it's next two months, especially when you're promoting new rosters and season premieres that they don't see these next two months as an opportunity based on the way they booked SmackDown and Raw. It felt like the same people in the same spots. I mean, different people on each show, but the same people in the same spots. And and that was the frustrating part. All right. So let's move on to the show. Uh, Like I said, we have the main event. It's a four part main event this week. We also do have the good, the bad and the ugly coming up. And then at the end of the show, we will talk about that 2022 pay-per-view calendar But like I said, we're starting with the main event. So let's slide right into it. And we are starting with the women this week. We'll talk about what happened on SmackDown. And then we will move over to some controversy uh, that's been going down with Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. And then we'll talk about what happened on Raw. So on SmackDown, uh, booked and promoted as a reason to watch the show was the Women's Championship Title Exchange. This was the main event. Uh, (laughs) Becky Lynch said she was more interested in becoming Becky two belts again than just exchanging titles. And Charlotte basically said no shit backstage without saying that. Uh, Sonia Deville was in the ring. She explained the situation. The crowd chanted Becky two belts and they treated the exchange like they were children refusing to share toys and hand them over to each other uh, without getting one in return on the playground. Flair took her title, threw it to the side Lynch threw her title at Flair. Now there's controversy that we're going to talk about in a moment, but even if this went as planned, it was so, so, so stupid. Charlotte issued a winner take all challenge and Becky couldn't even answer it because then Sasha Banks music hit and she came out in a bodysuit that look, I'm just going to be honest. That's the most action I've had all year. Sasha put Charlotte in her place and Becky just left the ring throwing the mic down saying she'll see one of them at Survivor Series. Banks and Flair brawled for a moment. Sasha hit a meteor off the ring apron before Sonya Deville separated them to end the show. Like I said, this was terrible. There was nothing redeeming about it. From the conceptualization to the execution, it was weak, weak shit. Even if you're set on doing a title exchange, why not make it special? Why not call Paige? Or Trish Stratus, and add some gravitas to it where you say, Hey, this is a really unique thing that we're doing. Let's put a spin on it and get people to watch. That doesn't make it not dumb. It doesn't fix the idea, but it helps fans ignore the absurdity of it by adding a little star power to the thing. I don't understand why anyone, any wrestling company, WWE especially, would actively book their most dominant women like children. Especially after they did the same thing last year and it was completely panned, at least mm-hmm. with the Street Profits and New Day. It was kind of funny. They made a little joke out of it. You know, there was a whole thing back and it was backstage. It was a quick segment, not a main event of your biggest show. Well, this I, was, was let me finish and then you can yeah. go. This was lazy, bad creative from top to bottom. They should have had Bianca Belair beat Charlotte last week on Raw. They should have had Sasha Banks win at Crown Jewel. The booking was right there and WWE shanked it. It'll be easy for the women to recover because look, all the women are great and they can bounce back from this without any harm. But still, this was an absolute zero point zero,
1: Mr. Blutarski. Well, we criticized the New Day Street Profits exchange in part because it was backstage and it was just like, how about we do this? Okay, that didn't make it feel like a big deal. I will credit WWE for trying to make this a big deal by making it the main event. Now, could you bring out Paige, Trish, Lita, whatever, to, to make it even bigger? Sure, but in that context, they did try to make it feel like a big deal. Now, the concept of doing it is stupid. We talked about this last week. Just rename the titles. We You, you keep having to just stop Reigns and the the lineage gets all messed up and it devalues the titles if you can just flip them, not to mention throwing them on the ground, which we'll get to in a second. So I, I, I get what they were going for. But you still shouldn't you just you still shouldn't do this. It just just rename the titles, call one of them a universal match it up. It sounds better. It looks better. It makes everything simpler. I appreciate the effort to try to make this a big deal as opposed to some backstage thing, but this was a complete mess.
0: It was terrible from top to bottom. It's just abhorrent booking. So I mentioned the controversy, and I mean, most of you listening probably already know about it, but I'm going to break it down, at least how I understand it. That way, you know the perspective that we're coming from. Uh, Now, this has been reported by multiple established outlets over the last few days, and I'm not going to repetitively keep saying reportedly or allegedly. So just know those terms apply to everything I'm about to say. Also, there were, there was some individual reports that differed from the more general reporting here. I believe the more general reporting, the reports that differed appeared to paint purposely one person in a better light. And given that was only one outlet and it was not as reputable as the rest, I think you understand where I'm going for. So going into this segment, the booking on SmackDown. Charlotte thought the segment was stupid. Well, obviously. Good position to have, I agree. Uh, And she said that, but she also said to Creative that doing it would make her look weak. I'm not sure how she came up with that. It's stupid, but it didn't make them look weak. The segment was supposed to feature Becky holding both titles for a moment to get a Becky two belts pop from the crowd. Charlotte was supposed to reluctantly hand the title over and instead threw it on the mat, which is really what created this issue. And it also created a need on camera for Sonia Deville to get involved and force her to actually pick it up and hand it to Becky. So after the segment ended, Becky and Charlotte had a verbal agreement, uh, argument in guerrilla position with Becky standing up to Charlotte for going off script. Becky was reportedly seen as a hero, even though I just said I wouldn't say reportedly. She was seen as a hero for saying what needed to be said. Charlotte said she dropped the title by accident, which no one apparently believed. And if you watch the segment, you can pretty much tell that she dropped it on purpose. It got so heated with everyone on Becky's side that Charlotte was actually asked to leave and got escorted out of the arena by a WWE official because Becky had a dark match and they didn't want a second confrontation. One report said Vince McMahon wanted to talk to Charlotte, but she walked by him and just walked out. Furthermore, Charlotte has grown increasingly egotistical and difficult backstage Women don't want to work with her, and she's isolated herself because of her attitude. And these issues supposedly go back a long time, including recently that botch fest of a match with Nia Jax that you and I talked about. Uh, Charlotte apparently wants to be treated differently and do everything on her own terms because she feels like she can get away with it. So that's the reporting on this. My take is as follows.
1: I'll add one thing. I saw a report. Tell me if it's, if you don't think it's true or not. There was there was an idea that Becky was supposed to reach out for it, Charlotte pull it away, and then they kind of do like a like a cat and mouse, like you keep like you pulling it away as she's grabbing for it. It kind of seemed like that happened too. May not be all big deal in the end, but I just I saw that out there as well that she was supposed to keep Becky from grabbing it, but that she just dropped it or threw it on the ground.
0: Whatever it was supposed to be is not what it was, and right. I, I think the, there's two separate topics here. The segment was terrible. The booking was terrible. I don't blame Charlotte for hating it and voicing her opinion before they walked out of Gorilla position to go do the segment, okay? Um, in whatever form or function that took. In fact, I will tell you, if I was in Charlotte's position and I got to TV and they said, hey, this is the segment you're doing, I would stand up and I would say, this is effing stupid. Why are we doing this? Why don't we do this instead? I would work with creative. I would try to the best of my ability to figure out another way to do it. And I will tell you that in my current job and in every job I've ever had, when I disagree with something my boss tells me, I give my full faith and effort to try to convince them otherwise and offer better options and, you know, directions. Now, my jobs are not so much creative like this, like television creative, but it's, it goes for any business. Um, Your boss wants you to stack the shelves a certain way, you think it's wrong. You give all the explanation for why you think they should be stacked this way. And said, ultimately, if your boss tells you, no, do it this way. I go and do it that way because I am an employee and I am paid to do what my boss and my superiors want. You know, hopefully one day I am that top person. I am the Vince McMahon where I tell everyone what to do, but that's not the position I'm in right now. So I I fight, I, I, I push, I go as far as I possibly can. But at the end, I do what I'm told, you know, especially if I'm on camera in front of millions of people. For me, it's stuff that happens on my computer at my desk. I'm, you know, doing this a certain way, putting a headline on a story a certain way, whatever the case. Um, so what Charlotte did here, standing up for herself before it all happened, no issue. But that's not what's reported. That That's not what this is all about. This is about what she did live in front of television cameras. She went off script. She put Sonya Deville and Becky Lynch in terrible positions. And she did it reportedly because of ego and fear of looking weak. That is extremely unprofessional. So you can say that the booking was terrible. All you want. No shit. And guess what? There's a lot of booking in WWE. That's terrible. Dean Ambrose, John Moxley had a lot of really bad booking in WWE. You know what he didn't do while he was getting a shot in his ass? He didn't take the shot, break it in half, and say, this is stupid. (laughs) He did it. Because ultimately he realized, look, I hate this. I fought against it as hard as I could, but this is what they want me to do. And now that it's game time and I haven't changed their minds, I got to go do it. This was nothing that truly was embarrassing. This is something that she did not want to do for ego reasons or for whatever else happened in the heat of the moment. It's unprofessional. She deserves every ounce of criticism she's receiving. And if this is part of a trend, then WWE needs to figure something out with her because you cannot have someone like this in your locker room acting this way consistently over an extended period of time. WWE dealt with this back in the day with Shawn Michaels. They dealt with this to a different degree Back in the day with Steve Austin. Let me tell you something. Charlotte Flair is not Shawn Michaels and Charlotte Flair is not Steve Austin. And this is not 1995. This is 2000, or 1997. This is 2021. All right. We're unfortunately like 30 years beyond that. Okay. So, or 25 years. So, this just can't happen. It can't happen in a company like this. And it cannot happen when you're a publicly facing employee live on television. Con- contractor, whatever it was a terrible look for charlotte above anyone else the segment was terrible charlotte was worse
1: yep and it also happened with cm punk you know he as many things he later detailed obviously he eventually just straight up quit but he still did what he was told to do and you you are an editor. I'm a, in our real jobs. You're an editor. You're not the top guy, but you're an editor. I'm a writer. Mm, kind of close. If, if, Number if, two. If my, <laughs> if my editor wants me to do something, I'll say, hey, I don't. I, I think it should be this. I think it should be that. But if if they say no, you got to write this story. You got to do it this way. This is how it's going to look. All right. That's it. That's, how, that's all you can do. It's how, it's, it's how you got to do it. So, yeah, this is incredibly unprofessional. And, and the Nia Jax thing a few weeks back. I I listened to um, Bully Ray on on Busted Open one day talk about it, and he kind of explained from the pro wrestler side of things how Charlotte, you know, did handle the situation well. She comes, obviously, her background, it's a little bit different, um, but this was certainly not the way to handle this in any way or form. And I got to say, though, it makes me really, really excited for Survivor Series. (laughs) Like, like that's what you got to do. You got to do in wrestling, you got to get a little bit of the real with the kayfabe, mix it together, and that's the magic. So I hope they work things out. I hope, you know, everybody gets on the same page with all this kind of stuff, and Charlotte, you know, just, you know, is a better employee, essentially, in terms of what she's supposed to do. But it also makes me a lot more interested in a Becky Lynch Charlotte Survivor Series match. I just hope we get it. I hope it's not so bad that they make some sort of change and don't do it.
0: Well, that's the thing, and we we can talk about that in a moment, but I got to say, man, credit to Becky Lynch. First of all, apparently universally loved backstage. I don't think that's a surprise. Um, I'll tell you that I've met Becky twice, and I've interviewed her, I think, three times. The kindest person you could ask to talk to. I mean, Renee Paquette level of kind and nice and forthcoming, right? And if she's like that in her life outside of media, um, which seems like she is based on everyone who who interacts with her, then for her to go to Gorilla and not fume and walk off and go to the locker room and just stew about it, but to apparently go to Gorilla and wait for Charlotte to get off screen and go after her to that degree verbally in front of people and stand up for the rest of the locker room. I mean that's a friend these are the, it seems like there's been a um a chasm I guess in their relationship over maybe a, sh- a short period of time but for Becky to stand up to someone who formerly at least was one of her best friends in the industry that's saying something and to do it in front of all of those people in front of the Vince McMahons and the Bruce Pritchards and whoever else is currently in the Gorilla position area I mean that's saying something right and it's impressive to me that she was Willing to do that. It further also establishes that Becky's the man in WWE. She really is. She is taking on that locker room leader role that I'm not saying the women have never had it, but I don't know enough about the goings on backstage to say whether the women ever had it before or if they did when it happened, when someone had that position and when they perhaps vacated it. So for Becky to do that is it's impressive. I find it gutty. And I think she deserves a lot of credit for that. You know, the other, there's a couple other notes that we can talk about here. Um, you know, a lot of people are saying, hey, you know, Charlotte's doing this on purpose. She wants out of WWE. Uh, I don't believe that. Okay. Uh, Charlotte has multiple years left on her WWE deal. I have confirmed that. And even though there's reports that people in her family are suggesting she play hardball, uh, she doesn't apparently have any desire to leave. There's also the Andrade factor. Let's not forget, with people comparing this to Paige and Alberto Del Rio. This is not fair. It's not a fair comparison no. at all. That involved drugs, allegedly, and abuse, either verbally, mentally, or physically, allegedly. But on the surface, it does seem like Charlotte's attitude has somewhat changed, coinciding with Andrade being granted his release from WWE and debuting on AEW. Is that putting two and two together? Or is that just kind of pulling at straws to create a storyline? I don't know. I think it's something worth monitoring. But I also don't think there's any scenario, at least that I see, of Charlotte in the next couple of years either leaving WWE or being granted her release from WWE to jump on over to AEW just because Andrade is there and basically never on television.
1: Yeah, I I I don't know. I especially you know, again, we we don't know what's going through her head on this stuff, but the state of women's wrestling on AEW compared to WWE is not appealing either. She's main evented uh WrestleMania, you know. AEW there's just there's not much going on there. I, I while it would be a huge, you know, earth shattering move for them to get her and for him to move there i i don't think it would be a smart decision and i think she probably knows that but um you know it it, it's it's an interesting dynamic you know with, with with this going on with with andrade with rick no longer being with the company either and kind of the stuff he's been dealing with since dark side of the ring so she's she's got a lot going on and i think cooler heads will probably prevail here as they typically do. But, you know, it creates an interesting dynamic for sure.
0: Let's go into full speculation mode for a moment, okay? Do you think this, the basis of this, or at least playing into it significantly, is pure jealousy on Charlotte's part? Because I want to lay this out for you Ronda Rousey comes to WWE. The plan, WWE's booking plan, is for Rousey, Flair to main event WrestleMania, Flair walk out as champion. Over the course of that year or the nine months that she's there, whatever, Becky Lynch not only becomes the hottest woman in WWE, but one of the hottest wrestlers, arguably the hottest wrestler in the entire industry. She ends up being the one-on-one match that everyone wants to see with Ronda Rousey. Charlotte Flair gets jammed into that match, to the dismay of fans, very vocal about it, online, in person, etc. And then Becky Lynch is the one. Who gets that huge crowning achievement moment at WrestleMania, winning the first ever women's main event, goes on to hold the champion, you know, Becky two belts, drops one title but holds the other championship all the way until dropping it only because she gets pregnant, then has the baby, goes through, you know, uh, you know, a time period of recovery, comes back to WWE immediately wins the championship at SummerSlam. Charlotte on the periphery has all these title reigns. Fans are tired of her. They won't cheer her when WWE tries to push her as a face. And she's watching her former best friend or maybe still friend, but on the outs, whatever the case, this other woman that she came up with that she was uh, positioned over for almost the entirety of her career have all this success in a time period she thought she might have it herself. So I ask you, Chris, Do you think, and this is speculative, of course, we're just BSing here. We're just kind of talking. Do you think that there's something to this, that a lot of this is directly about Becky and rooted in jealousy?
1: And on on top of that, not only at Money in the Bank, they're chanting, we want Becky during Charlotte's match. She Mm -hmm. gets pissed. Yep. Flipped off the crowd. And again, played into it, which which was good and ended up having a great match. She wins the title. She loses it the next day to 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 Nikki Ash cashing in and she's lost what three times via cash in i think she even said on a promo or something like that so mm-hmm. um i i wouldn't i i could totally understand if she's frustrated jealous upset what have you because um because of the way Becky has risen and gotten these situations and char the way Charlotte hasn't quite been positioned like that it's certainly possible but if it is you know Deal with it. You're the heel. You're a great heel. Like just be the heel. Is <laughs> that and, and lean into that. And She has a lot. I, I I can understand her being frustrated with the way she's been presented, booked, the way she's lost championships after winning them. Um, well, let's since I you can, mentioned certainly it, certainly
0: a lot of frustration. Since you since you mentioned it, let's talk about the two cherries on top of the shit Sunday that has been Charlotte's booking. Because it's not just this this championship exchange. It's stupid, right? But it it wasn't terrible booking. It's just. Really, really stupid, right? She has been given terrible booking over yep. this last, let's say, 12-month period, right? Her feud going into WrestleMania was supposed to be Lacey Evans and Rick Flair getting together against her and her lacy Lacey, I think, winning the title, and then Flair winning it off of Lacey at WrestleMania. It was a cheating storyline. Rick obviously has mm-hmm. a woman. Um, I don't know their status if they're married or just together or whatever the situation is but he obviously has a a significant other that he's with and on screen they do this storyline that rick flair has come out and and vocally said he didn't like and he thought was silly uh it was terrible television it didn't make any sense and then like you just said all of the nikki ash stuff which they booked in total reverse rather than letting it play out and nikki eventually winning the title they did it right away so this is the third time and you can say fourth including the nia Jax thing if you want that was just more circumstantial But this is like the third time in a 12-month period where Charlotte has been given horrendous booking. This less than the other ones. But yes, I think it's the jealousy. It's the bad booking. And I think it's the ego and the positioning of her and just her unprofessional nature all kind of coinciding into this shitstorm that has created this controversy that we saw in front of us.
1: Yeah, no. Like I said, there's plenty in there to be upset about. But at the end of the day, like, you got to deal with it. That's your job. Yep. You You got to be more professional about it than than the way it played out on Friday.
0: People have dealt with far worse in wrestling and in real life at their jobs than what Charlotte faces being paid significant money to act and have fun and wrestle on television. That's the truth. Uh, It was unprofessional. Shouldn't have happened. There's no excuses. We can look at potential reasons, which is what we did. I'm glad we had a nice talk about it. I'm glad we waited also until today to go over it versus just yeah. spouting off, you know, on a special show Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday, because this was news people were talking about. I did think about doing an instant reaction podcast. I'm glad we didn't. Uh, and and, and
1: also, it. again, again, it makes me more interested in Survivor Series. So I hope they can work this out and, and add a little
0: fire to that for that. So we'll see what they do. Well, that's a great transition because I was just going to move on to figuring out what the hell is going to happen with the women at Survivor Series. So let's move over to Raw, where Becky Lynch was out at 9 p.m. right at the start of that hour saying she regained the title she never lost. Fans love her and are tired of Bianca Belair and want to see her beat all the faces on Raw. Belair came out and said she wasn't pinned at Crown Jewel. She pointed out that Becky cheated in that match and said she actually beat the Raw Women's Champion, Charlotte Flair, last week, which means she should get a title shot. Lynch said Belair had her way with the whole roster, but she stopped in her tracks when she met up with big-time Bex. Bianca said Becky is nothing without the title and told her to shut up or run up and put it on the line. I love that line. Lynch responded, get to the back of the line, bitch. So Belair threw her over the announce table. Becky got a kendo stick, but Bianca stole it from her, wore her out with it. Lynch escaped the KOD with an eye rake and hit a white Russian leg sweep before accepting the challenge. Other than this dragging a little bit, it did go on a little too long. It got the job done to continue their feud and set the stage for another title match. It's to the point though, Chris, where I actually don't want Bel Air to win because I want her to get built back up. I want her to have the run where she goes through the rest of the division and earns another opportunity at the championship to actually win and go, go over. I actually do right. wish she went to the back of the line here, as I mentioned earlier, and someone else like, I don't know, a Dewdrop or a Live Morgan or someone like that got an opportunity against Becky Lynch. But with the angst with Becky and Charlotte bubbling up. They have two options here. They can either lean into that and set up Becky, Charlotte in a feud match at Survivor Series and try to play some of what happened backstage into reality. Or they may say, this is too volatile. We can't do it. And fast track Bianca to beat Becky for the title next week on Raw. And now we get Bianca Belair versus Charlotte Flair. And I don't know, maybe Bianca can actually get the win that she should have gotten last week on Raw. Look, at the end of the day, Becky and Charlotte are both professionals. I'm sure if WWE wants them to fight at Survivor Series, they can make it work. And again, if Belair was gonna win the title, she should have defeated Flair for it last week. But I am curious now how this develops and goes forward. And I would love to know. I don't know what their decision is gonna be. But if they keep it Becky and Charlotte, is that because they're leaning into it or was that always the plan? If they don't and Bianca wins the title, is that because of the confrontation backstage or right. was that always the plan? All questions I have, I don't have any of the answers.
1: Right. I, 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 There's a big part of me that suspects that they have made this decision. But if you were going to do that to not do Charlotte Becky, you wouldn't take the title off of Becky, if, especially if she's the one who everybody believes is in the right. So I don't know, but it also comes back to the to the point you said where, yeah, I, I don't really want to keep seeing Becky Bianca right now. Like we we've, we've gotten two months straight of Charlotte, Sasha, Bianca, Becky, just always fighting each other. Now that the rosters are separated again, we kind of got to reset here because if it's only the two main eventers fighting each other all the time, it's hard to go anywhere from there. Because they're also beating up on all the people below them. So if if Bianca were to win, who is she supposed to wrestle? She's dominated everybody that's below her over the last couple of months. So I, I don't really know where it goes. But I, I love the way Becky delivered the line, back of the line, bitch. Like, uh, 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 it, was, it was a good way to, obviously, sometimes they say, they say, bitch. But they don't, they, they emphasize it too much. Becky said it with strength. And, it, and, and she had a point, and Bianca had a point too. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know where this is going to go next week. It creates all kinds of drama. I want to see Becky Charlotte in, in, in wake of what happened on Friday. I just, I just do. So does Bianca, does Bianca take
0: another loss, another cheating loss? I don't know. Since you brought up the word bitch, let me take this opportunity to say women's wrestling, WWE, and AEW. Totally overuse the word bitch. Yes. And they do it to get a pop and it's cheap and it sucks. Okay. Um, Jade Cargill, I'm talking to you, right? In particular, it being the <laughs> phrase. But, but in this case, it was appropriate. Like, yes, it was, it, it was thematic, not thematic. It was, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it felt like a real human being saying that line would say bitch. It didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like it was added just to create a pop. It felt like if Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair were having that real conversation backstage, that she would actually say that. So because of that, in this particular instance, I was okay with it. Yeah,
1: the emphasis was on back of the line, not on the word
0: bitch. And that that makes a difference. It really does. Regarding the segment, really quick, I don't think we talked about it. The crowd wasn't particularly hot for it, but I did think it was strong overall. Yeah, no, it was Okay. Uh, We'll move over to the men for the second half of this main event. Roman Reigns opened the show, putting himself over for beating Brock Lesnar. He called out Paul Heyman for not throwing the title directly at him during Crown Jewel, and he dared Lesnar to beat his ass as he promised he would on Twitter. Reigns wouldn't leave the ring until Lesnar appeared, and after a commercial, the crowd chanted for Lesnar. His music eventually hit. Lesnar ducked a belt shot and took Reigns out, throwing him so hard into the steel stacks that they actually shifted. Uh, Lesnar drilled Reigns in the face. He was about to F5 Reigns into the announce table when the Usos made the save. Brock absolutely murdered them. He tried to decapitate Reigns with a camera, like literally taking a camera and throwing it at his head, but he missed. So he just killed a bunch of agents and wrestlers at ringside. And then a really cool moment happened that I think some people missed. Cesaro walked out uh, Mm -hmm. as part of that group of wrestlers. And when Brock saw Cesaro, that's when he like stopped and calmed down. And I don't know if that was purposeful or not, but yeah, that would make sense, right? You come up to, you know, it's one thing to like throw around to Cedric Alexander or like someone like that. But when you see Cesaro, maybe you stop in your tracks a little bit. Uh, Lesnar then held the title over his head to cheers. After commercial, Adam Pearce condemned Lesnar's actions and indefinitely suspended him. Lesnar walked out to no music, grabbed Pierce by the tie and choked him before f 5 him to a huge ovation, not once, but twice. Sonya backstage then said Pierce was injured and criticized him for the actions he took let's start with the negative. Uh, This showcased WWE's biggest issue on SmackDown. I talked about it at the start of the show. It took nine minutes between a video package and Reigns entrance for him to say a single word. One twelfth of a two hour show was wasted without someone talking or anyone wrestling. In total, it took 19 minutes, one sixth of the show for us to just see action Reigns and Lesnar brawling. It was the only segment we got for the first 35 minutes of SmackDown. One quarter of the show was completely based around a single segment with Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm saying it's a season premiere where you're introducing a new roster and one quarter of your show is in the bin because it was all focused around Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. Now, as far as what happened, It was awesome, okay? I know it's a different side of where you thought I was going. I loved it. Lesnar was a beast completely unleashed. uh, He made Reigns look vulnerable. Lesnar solidifying his suspension by attacking Pierce made sense given he's so unhinged. And from a booking standpoint, it gave a clear reason for Lesnar not being on TV, presumably for the rest of the year until Royal Rumble season. Pierce also sold the hell out of those F5s. He sold them like absolute death. And that was great. It does concern me that WWE appears to be positioning Lesnar as the only one who can conquer Reigns rather than another young superstar, or at least younger superstar, who should be able to get over by beating him. It feels to me, mark the prediction now, that Lesnar is going to come back at the Royal Rumble, win the Royal Rumble, fight Reigns at WrestleMania, and take the title off him. Now, that may be entertaining as hell. I think it probably will be but it's going to ultimately be disappointing for me. So yes, the segment. Awesome. The context of the segment in terms of the overall SmackDown show, not awesome. The booking for the future. Concerned.
1: Uh, yes. On, on all three counts. I, I, I loved I, I suspending Brock cause he's mad. They've done it before. Sure. But him coming back out. In in choking Adam Pierce and the way Pierce was saying it. That was a nice little twist on the way they've done it before. I enjoyed that. Um But yeah. To go to if if Brock was going to answer the challenge, then don't waste all this time before the show. I, I, I imagine part of it was it was the day after they just flown back from Saudi Arabia. Long ass flight. Everybody's probably dead tired. I I they probably felt, hey, we gotta save some time, whatever here. But typically, if someone is going to sit out there and wait and it goes into commercial and come back, typically the person doesn't come out. Typically, you just you move on to something else. Otherwise, it was, you know, stepping back and looking at it, why did you just waste 10 minutes of my time if Brock was going to come out? Like, at least show Brock driving into the arena and, and walking backstage and you know he's coming, like give some build as opposed to just sitting there. It was really boring. It was insulting. To a lot of the people who I'm sure were in the crowd, so that was annoying. In the end, it all worked, but to just like waste 15 minutes doing nothing, I think was was really frustrating. And then in the end, yeah, I'm concerned about Brock being the one to take the title off of Roman. It's not what it should be. WrestleMania tickets go on sale soon. It's here in Dallas. I'm I'm going. I'm sure you're going. I, I would love that match. I do not want to see Brock Lesnar take the title off of Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. So I don't know. We'll see.
0: Yeah, um so I don't know that I'll be going to WrestleMania, but you know, I I would love to, but I know you will be, so that's good. I I just I see what you're saying regarding them having come back from Saudi Arabia being a quick turnaround. But that leads into the point I was making earlier. This was a season premiere. There was yep. a huge portion of that roster that was not in Saudi Arabia, including like the Tony Storms of the world, right? And all these other Women and men who are fresh on that brand, who are in the mid to low card, maybe, who should be getting those opportunities to step their foot out on television. In fact, Chris, I actually was saving this for the good, the bad and the ugly. But Xia Lee, Ridge Holland, Aaliyah, Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo, they all got these vignette promos and we'll mention again later, but none of them were actually on television in matches. Mm -hmm. It's a great opportunity in a season premiere to put them on television in matches and have those squashes or whatever the hell you want to call it. You have Sheamus on the show who did not travel. Cesaro did not travel. Those guys can be on TV. So I don't buy personally, and I've seen other people say it, so it's not just you. I don't buy the argument that, oh, the SmackDown crew was tired. Half the crew wasn't overseas. Half the crew could have wrestled
1: I, I, no yeah I'm not saying it shouldn't be I, I'm just wondering if that was a case it's even if it was a case it shouldn't be i i'm just I'm just wondering if that was played a role in it like I think back to you know speaking of taking so much time I think back to that one time CM Punk cut like a 20 minute promo on the crowd in Tampa before the rock came out and they had their and they had their deal that's one of the few times where I think it worked where you waited and someone eventually came out but that was CM Punk cutting harsh promos on the crowd and stuff like that. Roman was just kind of just kind of just kind of enjoying the win and just kind of gloating a little bit. It wasn't it was boring. And I agree. Like, if that was the reason they waited, it was stupid. I'm, I'm just wondering if that was the
0: reason. It may have been. And if it was the reason, it's because WWE thinks it should only use the top half of its rosters.
1: And yeah. therefore, which, since which the top we know half it was which, tired,
0: They yeah. couldn't go in wrestling.
1: You know, and we know that's a problem. Even before this, we don't see Tony Storm on TV. Like, like, right. This would have been the you, yes, this would have been the time to do it. But season yeah. premiere, they want to do the big names. I I don't know. It was a mess. I, I didn't like that. It took so long.
0: OK, so let's move over to Raw for the fourth and final part of this main event. Now, we still have the good, the bad and the ugly coming along with a look at the 2022 pay-per-view calendar. Uh, Biggie opened Raw to a huge ovation. He gave Houston a massive cheap pop. Let the fans chant for the Astros. Boo. Shouted out King Xavier Woods and asked who would step up. Seth Rollins music hit, but Big E said, hey, Rollins, you just lost to Edge. You go to the back of the line. Rollins said Roman Reigns ducked him, but he figured Big E would be a fighting champion. Rey Mysterio came out. He referenced his Rollins feud and said his resume speaks for itself. Finn Balor was out next as a face, saying he beat Rollins to be the first Universal champion. Kevin Owens ran down all of his credentials and referenced beating Rollins for the Universal title in the same building. Rollins attacked Owens. Sonya then came out, set a fatal four-way main event that we all expected, but added a ladder match stipulation because it was the season premiere of Raw. Was this a formulaic segment? Yes, it was. What stood out for me was the effort to reference past storylines and feuds. Basically, all three other challengers and their history with Rollins and the world championships. WWE does not do that enough but it brought relevance to this interaction beyond wanting the title. It showed that these three other guys all have a reason to hate each other and the other faces in particular have a reason not to want Rollins to become the number one contender. It also set up Rollins as the clear, without question, we knew it already, the clear number one heel on Raw going forward. So was it formulaic? Yes. I don't even care that it was formulaic. It was a really strong opening. Like I said, those promos really got the job done and they added a little twist to the fatal four-way match we expected by making it a ladder match, which actually piqued my interest in the main event.
1: Yeah, no, I I loved this. I loved everything about this. Like, you know, we talk about, you know, they should do tournaments more to determine number one contenders. You know, they just did King of the Ring, but AEW does a championship eliminator tournament. Like, there are so many ways you can just create stories around the idea that everybody wants to win the championship. Like, it's so freaking basic, and they don't do it enough. Seth comes out, and he's like, I'm just sick of seeing that title on your belt, uh, uh, around your waist. I want it. That makes sense. Okay, he lost Edge, but okay, he still wants the title. Like, and, and, and so you have these guys all in their own way, don't exactly have a case. I mean, Finn just lost to Xavier, just like Seth lost to Edge, so nobody deserves a shot. So why not let them all fight for it in the winner gets a shot? Like it's a that stuff like this should happen far more often. Like like you don't not everything has to be really convoluted. It just comes down to these guys are professional fighters who want to win the championship. And so let's fight it out and see who gets that opportunity. Um, This also I kind of went back and forth on this. Part of me thought, you know, given this is where we're at why did Seth need to lose to edge? Why not just have Seth win? Now, if Seth had won, maybe he should get that tele shot right away. Doesn't need to contend for the ladder match. I, I don't know. I, I picked Seth to win at crown jewel. I don't think edge really needed it. Edge is probably going to be away for a little bit. He wasn't on raw here. So I, I it doesn't really matter, but I feel like Seth didn't need to lose that match. And the other thing of all the music hits, guys come out finn did not get that big of a pop and the person who got the biggest pop was kevin owens absolutely he continues he continues to be the most oh one of the most over people they have in the company even though he's kind of just floundering right now i i've said this many times but he is so over with that crowd and a guy who really deserves a world title shot don't know what's going to happen with his future
0: but kevin owens is still the guy for a lot of people he is. Uh, he is the most over guy. I don't think Finn got a bad reaction, but its it was certainly different than the reaction that he got when he came out to Roman Reigns. And there's a reason for that. It's because Roman beat him twice and then yep. he lost a third time to Xavier Woods. Mm-hmm. So this guy that you're all amped up about and I—we were we were talking, hey, you know what? Maybe they shock us and have him beat Reigns. Oh my God, the demon's coming back. Maybe the demon's going to beat Reigns. That's how they do it. They don't need the title for a Brock Lesnar feud, right? It makes sense. It didn't do it. And now Finn Balor comes into Raw as a guy who's lost his last three major matches. So there's not really a good reason to pop from to that regard. Also, though, to be fair, uh, Kevin Owens' music, when it hits, and Rey Mysterio's too, for that matter, it has that intro that really like tells you someone's there, like the Steve Austin glass following, you know? Balor's doesn't have that because WWE cut it off. They use a shortened version of his theme. So there is something to be said for he doesn't get the best entree uh, from when the music hits. But yes, you're right. Owens over his rover, always has been, probably always will be, and deservedly so because he's awesome. Uh, So that moves us into the main event match. Rollins versus Mysterio versus Balor versus Owens in a ladder match. Owens and Balor interacted backstage. Rollins cut his Fred Hampton promo that he's now always doing. Uh, Owens headbutted ladders on his way to the ring for some reason. Biggie watched the match in a really funny way with his back to the screen, making fun of how WWE makes its talent watch angularly so that like you at home, I guess, can see the TV screen. Um, So Biggie did it with his back to the screen and he turned his head around. It was very freaking funny, very funny. Uh, KO powerbombed Rollins onto a ladder. Rollins dodged a senton bomb with KO landing on the ladder. Rollins later picked Owens off a ladder for a buckle bomb, but KO rebounded with a super kick. Mysterio countered a pop-up powerbomb with a huracarana and then did a 619 into a ladder into Owens' face before doing a springboard seated senton onto a ladder out of the ring to the floor directly on top of Owens, which I thought was really inventive. Balor then took everyone out with a tope. Rollins tipped Mysterio off a ladder. Owens caught Mysterio flying with a sit-out facebuster. A super long ladder was set up between the ring and the announce table. KO stunned Balor. KO then caught Mysterio and powerbombed him into a table. KO got to the hook uh, atop the ladder when Rollins pulled him down and back body dropped him out of the ring through that long ladder in a great spot. Balor sold an injured leg. Rollins pulled him down, hit the stomp, climbed to the top of the ladder and grabbed the contract for the clean win in 22 minutes with commercials. Biggie came out after the match and Rollins celebrated in front of him saying he'll see him soon. Rollins also cut a quick promo in gorilla position. So look, Rollins was the obvious winner here uh, given he was the only heel. It was a solid ladder match, but it never at least for me and and I'm not saying the spots weren't good because they were good. It never really reached that fourth gear that you want to see from a ladder match where shit is just chaotic. I can't go too high on it though. Even there there was some decent spots. I'm going to say four stars and an A minus. I actually kind of think that might be a little overrating it. Um but there was just something about it where there were spots, but there wasn't an intensity to the entire match. And that's really the most I can go as far as grading the match. I will talk about the booking philosophy in a moment. But what do you think about the match itself?
1: It was it was good. It wasn't great. It wasn't memorable. It, you know, it wasn't a pay-per-view quality type of match. Um, but, you know, I'm not always expecting that on, on TV. It's nice to have. But in the end, I'm mostly looking for the story. And in who wins and where it goes, um,
0: so it was it was fine. I, I didn't didn't love it, but it wasn't bad by any means. All right, uh, so I got a DM from Ben Porges at Ben Porges. Uh, it's actually a tweet, not a DM. He said, "Look, considering Biggie is facing Roman, don't you think the Seth feud is rushed? He's probably the biggest heel on the roster. Why waste him on a TV feud? You're exactly right, Ben. WWE continued here its booking philosophy." which I just do not understand of rushing the best possible feud right away, as opposed to building it over a couple of months. I believe they did the exact same thing when Drew McIntyre won the WWE championship at WrestleMania, you know, a couple of years ago. I think his first feud right away was Seth Rollins. And then I think his second feud was AJ Styles, or maybe AJ Styles was the first feud I'm forgetting. But I remember us having the conversation on this show Why are they rushing this? Why are they doing this at a B-level pay-per-view when Drew McIntyre versus AJ Styles should be the main event of Money in the Bank or SummerSlam or something like that? They're doing it here again. I I don't know why they rush the best possible feud rather than let it develop over a period of time. And as I said earlier at the start of the show, with Survivor Series coming up, why not let someone like Apollo Crews or Dolph Ziggler get a champion's contender match and bide some time? Why not allow one of those guys to be in this match and win it, especially since it's a ladder match and you're not pinning or submitting someone? You can get away with allowing a surprise person to win. You give other people, this is the perfect time of year when you're booking towards Survivor Series, a brand-to-brand pay-per-view, and you don't have another show until January 1st. It's the perfect time of year To give all these other people opportunities and save your biggest storylines. Instead, we have Bianca Belair versus Becky Lynch next week on Raw. And I presume we're going to get Biggie against Seth Rollins inside of the next two to three weeks on Raw. Now, the difference is he does have a contract, which makes it seem like it may be his decision. So maybe he does hold it off. But if he does hold it off, then what the hell are you doing with the WWE title? And what are you doing with Seth Rollins in the interim? I don't know. So yes, Ben, I think it's a major problem. And I actually was going to talk about it before you sent the tweet, but your tweet was perfect. And I'm glad other people see it.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, you pretty much summed it up. We, it's the same thing we talked about with Bianca and Becky in the beginning of the show, which is you don't need to do it. Now, I'm not going to complain we're going to get Biggie Seth Rollins. I am I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, whenever it happens, as always, as long as something is happening on the show, I'm I'll I'm, I'll get behind it. Um, but it it is also fair to wonder what this means for the next two months. You know, I I I don't want Seth and and, and Biggie to fight four times over two months or something like that. <laughs> you that's know, the concern they, in doing this, as they sometimes do, right? right. As they often do. So that's. It's a real concern, and especially on, on a Raw roster that is loaded. You know, we went over it on the draft. The Raw roster is deep as all hell, so we'll see. I'm not, I've, we're not criticizing them right now for this, but we're just putting it out there that this this may be an
0: issue here in the coming weeks, so let's see what they do. Well, just like looking quickly at the Raw roster, who could be main event heels against Biggie, right? You have AJ Styles, who's currently in a tag team, Bobby Lashley, where they literally just had that feud. So we would not want to see that again. Edge, theoretically, they could turn heel pretty easily. Historically, he's easily been able to do that. Finn Balor, they could also easily turn heel. We saw it in NXT. That's possible. Kevin Owens, they could turn heel, although it seems like he's in this weird part of his career where he doesn't want to go back to being heel. But babyface. And Randy Orton also currently in the middle of a tag team. You could make him heal eventually, but he's not in a position to do that right now. So really on this roster, as it stands, they don't have another main event heal ready to go today, except for Seth Rollins. Only people that they can either change into it or develop into it. Two other names, obviously, are Karrion Cross, which barely even see the guy now <laughs> that they have ruined him, even though we know they want to push him. And Keith Lee, who it seems like is being a heel, maybe that's their plan. Maybe they're gonna build up Keith Lee to such a degree, he's the one who beats Big E for the title. And oh my god, you wanna talk about you know big meaty men slapping meat? That might be an all-timer. Oh, we got two big meaty men bugging meat tonight. And look, if you will it, it is no dream. If you will it, dude, it is no dream. So maybe that is what's gonna happen down the line. But as of right now. It's a pretty barren cupboard in terms of main event heels on Raw. Maybe that's why they're going Rollins. I just hope it doesn't last three or four months, as you said. Yeah. So, Chris,
1: yeah. I, I would I would have done AJ there. I, I mean, you could have easily done AJ. He's AJ Styles. He can easily. be in a singles championship yes. feud and let Omos just kind of be the muscle for a month. It's fine. I would have done that.
0: It would have been I a great could, spot. To and, and,
1: AJ and AJ can lose that and be totally fine and still be in a tag team, and then be a singles guy for he would be fine. That's the way I would have done it.
0: 100% agree with you. With that, uh, time is of the essence. Let's move on to the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, so we're going to run through everything else that happened on SmackDown and Raw. On SmackDown, I actually had to pause because of the brand change. Drew McIntyre did an open challenge. Drew told Sonya backstage he wasn't going to waste any time. So he went to the ring daring anyone to fight him, playing to the crowd that they would finally see an actual match after 40 minutes. He actually said that, which I love because <laughs> yeah. it was true. Yeah. Um, Sammy Zayn answered and he had new music. As he said, he was the one to beat on SmackDown. The match started 41 min- minutes into the show and it got one minute before commercial break. Uh, so we got McIntyre and Zayn. Sammy was looking for a Huluva kick when McIntyre hit him with the Claymore for the win just a couple minutes after we came back from commercial. So we got less than five minutes of action in the first 50 minutes of TV time. That's not a criticism of the work of these two guys, but let's be honest at what we got here. Uh, the segment was good. The situation was unfortunate. As far as Sammy's music goes, I saw a lot of people criticizing it, and we have plenty of entrance music to talk about on today's show. I thought his music changing was long overdue. His old theme did not fit his gimmick. I liked it.
1: I thought it was a really creative way to change the music by having his original music play, and then it kind of cuts into the new music. And then that that was like a fun, creative. I'd never seen that before. I'm a big entrance music guy, and I'd not heard that before. Honestly, I've, I've not gone back and listened to the music, so I could not even tell you what the new music sounds like but I do agree that it was long needed for a change. Match was fine. Wish they got more time giving it a good for what it was.
0: Right. It was, it was pretty generic music, but it was negative. It was heel music, you know, and the, and the, mm-hmm. he needs that because the other stuff, it's fun. I forgot what the type of music called is called. It's a, skipping my uh, brain right now, but slipping. yeah, h- his
1: previous theme was, was it's, it's almost it's like iconic, Zoot suit shit, really. right? Like yeah, yeah. Swinger era, whatever. Um, Yeah. And whenever he becomes a face again, it'll be a great time to bring it back.
0: You guys can tell I don't know that kind of music. I I know rap. That's what I'm into. Uh, Okay, anyway, uh, so we had the coronation of King Xavier Woods. All the gear was in the ring. Kofi Kingston made the introduction as Woods got You Deserve It chance while wielding a cloak, scepter and receiving the crown. Kofi read the gospel and started a Hail King Woods chant. I was smiling ear to ear the entire time. There was no shenanigans or BS. It was great to see a real coronation and for Xavier to get his full moment of celebration in front of regular fans in America. You could see that when he got those You Deserve It chants, like it actually in reality touched him, that he may have thought, I'm never going to have a moment as a singles wrestler in WWE where I get praised like this. He got it. It was nothing but good. It was so good. It was great to see.
1: Yeah, super happy for him. The only thing I wish, I wish Big E had been there uh, to do it as well. I know Big E I shouted shall. him
0: out on Monday, but it would have been nice to see Big E there. But no, it was good. Yeah, that was really unfortunate. We also got the coronation of Queen Zelina Vega. Zelina made them redo her introduction and put on a inconsistent fake British accent. I saw some people didn't like that. I think it's funny. I mean, Booker T did it. Her doing it. It's The whole point is she's trying to be more than she is. So I was OK with it. Uh, she said she's the official queen of WWE, not all the other people that claim their queens, and just kind of ranted about that for a while. And then there was a rematch with Dewdrop for no good reason whatsoever. So we got Zelina versus Dewdrop. After tugging on the scepter, Dewdrop hit a senton. Zelina ran her into the turnbuckles and hit a flying codebreaker. She untied a pad, and as the referee fixed it, she used the scepter on Dewdrop to win in two thirty-one. The whole thing sucked. I understand that. Maybe the idea was to establish she's going to be a cheat to win, do anything possible. I have all the power, heal as a queen. The match was two minutes and 31 seconds. It was shorter than the coronation. Um, The coronation was longer than every match in the Queen's Crown Tournament, except Mm -hmm. the final. Uh, (laughs) This continues to be absolutely, positively ugly. Zero point zero.
1: I am not giving it an ugly. I enjoyed the coronation i enjoyed the slipping in and out of the british accent i thought she did a really good job using it in certain spots Mm -hmm. it it never actually felt forced it felt kind of natural the way she moved in between it she did a really really good job with that something i also was thought they did interestingly the camera shots of Zelina were either up close or down low that throne was ginormous. And I think yes, they maybe yes. made a they made a point to not make Zelina look small. And I think that was a good production decision. If that's actively what they decided to do. My concern was and, and then when Dewdrop came out was going to be. Oh, Zelina going to go back to losing a bunch and she's just going to lean on the queen gimmick. And it's going to be like a Baron Corbin thing all over again. So I was plenty happy to see Zelina win because of what I thought was going to happen. Now, short match, don't like that. Um, We'll see moving forward, but I'm actually giving this segment a good. Hmm. I obviously would like to have more of it for sure, but what they did and building off of winning the Queen's Queen's crown, I, 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 I liked it.
0: The woman is from Queens, New York. They don't even mention it. Uh, I do agree about the accent, as I said. I think... It was purposeful the way they did it. It was supposed to be bad. That's the whole point. Uh, so people criticizing that, I don't get. But I, I can't, I just can't side with you on this being good. It wasn't. Um, you know, I, I wasn't expecting them to go from zero to hero in terms of the Queen's gimmick and, and the tournament and all that. But they could have said, okay, the tournament's in the books. Let's put a good foot forward here. Allow these women to go six minutes on television. Same finish, same deal. They didn't do it. I, 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 until they actively care. I'm going to treat it the way they do, which is by saying it's shit, by pointing out that it's shit and calling it shit when it is shit. All right, we'll move on. Uh, Street Profits versus Alpha Academy versus Dirty Dogs in a Raw Tag Team Championship number one contenders match. They did off the top the rules I hate with only two wrestlers legal simultaneously. It's a triple threat match. Three people should always be legal. Why they do it one way or the other, they never explain it. It should never be this way. It is very stupid. Angela Dawkins got a great hot tag, ending with the double underhook swinging neckbreaker on Chad Gable. Otis and Gable combined for an awesome Lariat German suplex on Dawkins. But Montez Ford broke the fall with a frog splash. Ford took Otis out with a huge tope. Dawkins hit the anointment on Robert Roode. Ford went for the finish, but got caught flying by Omas, who hit Dawkins in the face. The dogs then did their spinebuster zigzag combo for the win to become the number one contenders. The match was exciting. The finish was terrible. Omos interfered right in front of the referee, and it was sloppy from there on out. The dogs were the right winners to kick things off, but the victory was flat. It was also strange to create number one contenders ahead of a title match on the same show. They had booked for an entire week, AJ Styles and Omos getting another title opportunity against RK-Bro. WWE promoted it all week. They said, hey, Raw's kicking off a new era. This is the title match. Now, did they get wise to the criticism that I tweeted and millions of others probably tweeted? How do you kick off a new era with a rematch from four days earlier and a rematch of the last two title matches that we've had for the Raw Tag Team Championships? Maybe they got wise to it. But AJ Styles was not on TV. Only Omos was. Maybe something happened with AJ where he couldn't make it and they needed to book around it and create a new storyline. For me, the number one contendership was enough. You do the number one contendership, a new tag team title match next week. You say, hey, AJ Styles wasn't able to compete. Therefore, we couldn't do the title match on today's show, but we are deciding a new number one contender. That would be very solid booking and creative explanation for something that happened that we don't know right now. Instead, we got new number one contenders and a tag team championship match on the same show. I thought that was ridiculous. I'm going to put that aside. Talk about the match. The match was exciting. It wasn't amazing. I thought the finish hampered what was otherwise really good action. So I went 3.25 stars in a B, but it was solid action. So I do give it a good.
1: Yeah, uh, everything you said about the match makes sense. I, I, I agree that, you know, if something had to change, just say it had to change. And I also like the idea of doing the number one contender for whatever reason you need to do it. Again, just like the ladder match. Let people earn their title shots as opposed to just trying to convince the champion to let them have a title shot. It's, again, it's supposed to be athletics. It's sports. Let people win their way into things. But if you're going to have them, and well, well, I guess we'll get to the championship match, but if you're going to have them win the number one contendership and then lose on the same show, you didn't gain anything from it. Like, let the Dirty Dogs win and, like, you kind of get a little bit of momentum Before you do something about it, because then it was just, it it doesn't help anybody in the end.
0: It was also them doing two number one contenderships on the same show, which, again, isn't the worst thing. Which I'm okay with. Well, it's not the worst thing. Raw is three hours. But it's like, okay, you're going to do two of them. One of them's over. (laughs) Like, it's already happened. Right. And and the next one, you know, we'll find out, I guess. But to me, it just felt too much, you know, in a a tight window. The other one being the Raw Tag Team Championships. R.K. Bro.
1: and you had the women agreeing to a match next week. So right. That was it, it set technically up was
0: finding another one. Right. So you did the Raw Tag Team Championships, RK Bro against the Dirty Dogs. R- Riddle was rambling backstage. So Randy Orton said, hey, we'll talk about Halloween all you want after we get the win. Rude took Orton uh, and ran him into the barricade. There was a long delay. I think maybe Orton hurt himself. I'm not sure. Uh, Riddle got a hot tag and completely missed a kick. So Dolph Ziggler didn't sell it. Then he went on a run. Orton RKO'd Rude as Riddle and Ziggler traded pinning combinations, with Riddle eventually locking in an awesome spladle on Ziggler for the win. Not a particularly notable match by any means, despite the talent of all four men, but it was a good TV segment. And beating Ziggler, a former amateur wrestler, with the spladle was a really, really nice kind of tie-in and nod to people who may understand it that I appreciated. So both segments good, the overall booking kind of meh across the board.
1: Yeah, I I don't really have much to add other than that. I guess I'll, I mean, I'm between the good and good and the bad. What it was was good. I just don't like doing it now in the context. I'll say, I'll say good, I guess.
0: All right. Uh, On SmackDown, we had Shinsuke Nakamura against Happy Corbin in a non-title match that was also not called a Champions Contenders match. Rick Boogs started shredding on the guitar two minutes in, Nakamura... Uh, battered Corbin, but Corbin caught him with a weird pump handle move for a 2.9 count. So Boogs started shredding again, waking Nakamura up as the crowd sang his theme. That was pretty cool. Madcap Moss interrupted Boogs, distracting Shinsuke. Corbin threw Nakamura into the steps, hit end of days in the ring for the win in like nine minutes. We're supposed to hate this because it was a heel move, but I hated it because we hardly got to see the match and ended up with yeah. the champion losing a non-title match, which means the start of a never-ending Corbin feud now for the Intercontinental title. Not only was this bad, I'm going to give the entire three-month feud a preemptive bad. (laughs) It's the same thing over and over and over. It's like missionary position every single night. It really is. Okay,
1: that might be the best use of a a drop we've ever had in the show. To... to Preemptively preemptively declare missionary position on a Baron Corbin feud. Yep. It's perfect. You're right. You're right. That's what's going to happen. I This is bad. I I guess. I don't know. If I, I didn't. I'm not going to even ugly yet, but yeah, not looking forward to this. Honestly, is there anybody more forgettable in WWE right now than Shinsuke Nakamura? The dude is the Intercontinental Champion. He is completely overshadowed by Rick Boogs, who is awesome. But now he's in a Corbin feud. Honestly, I forget every week that he's Intercontinental Champion. I am I would rather just let Corbin win the belt in a one-off match than go your separate ways and do something else. But, oof, man.
0: Not yeah, good. both mid champions are completely overlooked. I think it's also because neither of them factored into Crown Jewel, So they they've largely been yep. off television or unimportant to television storylines for the last six weeks. So there's actually some reason for that, but... Yeah, um, not good. And and we're going to stay with the mid-card title picture because we're going to move over to Raw where Damian Priest fought T-Bar in a Champions Contenders match. That was also a non-title match. So I don't know why one was called it and one wasn't. Uh, Priest entered with new music and graphics. The music was really generic to the point that he he feels like the third person now who has a religious-esque type of theme Rollins obviously being one. And there was someone else previously who did that's slipping my mind um, or maybe still does, but the music was generic. The graphics were kind of cool. They're showing a dichotomy, a clashing of styles between the names, Damien being evil priest being holy and good moving away from the archer of infamy gimmick. It's okay. In my opinion for priest, cause man, you're calling someone an archer of Inf- like, I don't even know what that really means. And that's been his gimmick for a long time. I was okay moving from it, especially since he kept his name and the general overall look. But Chris, before we talk about the match and what happened, I kind of wish they had retained the music and his theatrics in the ring with the lights, the way he does his movements and gets people excited. It felt like it was a step down in that way.
1: Yeah, I didn't I didn't catch this whole thing when it happened, but he's already your US champion. Like, like this isn't a guy who needs a character reboot. And a month ago, you had him opening up, I think, a Monday Night Raw on the mic. Like, he seemed like they were positioning him as like a yeah. face of the company, Drew McIntyre type of guy. Now he's, now he's going into this thing. Has me kind of concerned about his uh, long-term future. I mean, not long-term future, but just kind of the plans for him to be into this. So I'm... I'm not sure. I almost don't even want to grade this one because it was just kind of really, really weird. Well, we don't need to to grade
0: his entrance. I was going to talk about the match and then we can talk about the whole thing. Yeah, so I I just Yeah, so the match happens. T-Bar hits an impressive moonsault. We finally see the guy, this huge guy who can do all this athletic stuff. Finally saw him do some athletic stuff. He hits the moonsault for a one count. Priest came back with a broken arrow and knocked T-Bar outside. So his T-Bar picked up a desk chair and threw it at Priest for a disqualification. Priest's eyes get really wide. He levels T-Bar, grabs the desk chair, throws it on top of T-Bar, runs him into the barricade, and then brings him in the ring and hits the Reckoning for good measure. It was clear to me in commentary, I don't think sold it well at all, but it was clear to me, they're now doing a split personality gimmick with Damian Priest, given the graphics I mentioned earlier. Right. Uh, It seems like he starts as the Priest, as the guy who's kind of calm and ready to have a nice match. Someone does something that ticks him off. He absolutely loses his mind. They lean into the Damien part of the name. The new presentation doesn't really bother me. I am concerned about the gimmick and whether it's going to work long-term. I really rolled my eyes at it. It's also absurd that they go ahead, they repackage Damien Priest, but they don't repackage T-Bar, who has a gimmick we know won't work. (laughs) It is over. The, The group he was in has been dead for like, Nine months at this point, and he is nothing more now than pure jobber status. So overall, I'm not going to go ugly yet, but I am saying bad. So this is bad on the whole thing. Yeah, for me, yes, because even though there were shreds of like okay, I I think the whole thing. I'm I'm preemptively also kind of here saying bad. Yes.
1: Yeah, me too. And, and, and again, it's it, it feels like an NXT. type of gimmick for Damian Priest here, which is really weird again, because he's the he's already the U.S. champion. So I I, I'm giving it a bad. I'm I'm mostly giving it a what? So we'll see where it goes from here, but it's weird and a little concerning for maybe what they had hoped for Damian Priest.
0: Very concerning that it's a chance and I I know not all change is bad and sometimes as wrestling fans, as people who watch the product and analyze it. Sometimes we think, oh, it, they changed it. That's for the worse because we liked how this guy was before. And we have another one of those to talk about in a moment. Um, I don't believe yeah, if, if you're if you're if you're going from if you're going from
1: white meat, baby face, you know, give you a mic, talk to the crowd to split personality.
0: That tells me they don't think you're that guy for no reason, by the way. Right. Nothing happened to create this. No, they just are sort of like, hey, know. let's change up your gimmick even though it's working and fans are cheering you. That, that's my biggest problem with the entire thing. Uh, hit Row made their entrance on SmackDown, cutting a faction promo over their music. There was no change to their presentation from NXT, which really had me breathing a sigh of relief. We got Swerve and Top dollar against a couple jobbers, which we never see jobbers on SmackDown. Like real jobbers, like people who are not members of the main roster. Uh, Top Dalla caught both dudes and hit a world's strongest slam while flinging another guy off his shoulders. Swerve uh, hit a flying kick as Top Dollar delivered a sidewalk slam for the win in one minute. This was basically Hit Row just introducing themselves to a new audience, but they retained that same authentic, unapologetic flair that to me makes them so special. And I was really excited to see that. Uh, there was a report early Friday that Swerve and Ashanti the Adonis would be the tag team, with Top Dollar pushed as the single star. Because of that report, the team showcased in this match was interesting. It was not the same as that report. Adonis is super talented, but Swerve and Top Topdala are the bigger stars and Swerve should be the single star coming out of the group because Top Topdala and Ashanti Adonis, they actually work really well together as a tag team, a big guy, a small guy, a strong guy, an athletic guy. So that's the direction I hope they go. It remains to be seen how all of this shakes out. But as far as right now, I was very, very positive about Hit Row. That was a good
1: one, yeah. Yeah, I, I I'm not familiar with them. I I don't watch NXT regularly. I honestly, my first real introduction was Top Doll's diss track on the Young Bucks last week or whatever that was, um, which I loved. My my only thought was during their intro, it felt subdued in that the music playing over them felt loud and they sounded really quiet. And I don't know if the crowd didn't react to that or didn't know how to react or what, but I was expecting more more just energy and, and kind of in your face and pop. And we didn't quite get that on the intro. Again, I don't know if it was the production or how it came through on TV or what, but that was kind of surprising. But overall, I really like what I see. I mean, they seem to be really cool. I've listened to the NXT show and I've heard you sing all of their praises really for a while, so I'm looking forward to it. And it's a faction, and I'm looking forward to that. Four people is a faction, and I'm interested to see some new faces do some new things. Hopefully, they get a chance, you know. Unlike you know Tony Storm coming up and doing nothing, and several other recent NXT call-ups doing
0: nothing. So I hope there's a plan. It's a good start. Agreed. On Raw, we had Keith Bearcat Lee against Cedric Alexander. Keith was clean shaven again. He threw Cedric around and beat the shit out of him, making animal noises occasionally uh, the whole time before hitting the Big Bang Catastrophe. But they're probably going to rename for the win. Lee looked dominant. His entrance music was strong. It could use some lyrics, but I did really like it. The fact that they debuted him with that shitty entrance music when he first came on to Raw. Then they finally came up with a new entrance music that we loved. I mean, At least I did. Um, after yep. we were concerned that they were going to just have... A terrible presentation of him. And now they're changing the music again just to get Bearcat sounds and stuff in it. That's frustrating to me, but it was really strong, deep bass type of music. Throw lyrics on top of that. I think you have a great theme. Overall, I think it worked. Shelton Benjamin jumped in the ring afterward, but backed off. I presume we're going to get that match next week. I'm glad it wasn't a total squash. I still would have liked to have seen a bit longer of a match with Cedric. Maybe we get that next week. Keith looked good, he looks fit. Energetic. He's moving around the ring really well. Uh, do I love the Bearcat stuff? You know, no, but I don't think it's any type of travesty or any major mark on him. Keith Lee still has the opportunity to be a dominant wrestler and a potential world champion on the main roster. And we saw that on Monday night. So I'm definitely saying good here.
1: I'm cautiously optimistic about keith lee here i'm gonna give it a good but not an overwhelming good Uh, again bearcat keith lee sounds great it sounds better than bearcat lee i wish they would just do it that way but if that involves his name and a trademark i don't know um we've talked about the bearcat stuff you know and you know the african-american wrestler and how important that is and i assume you know that's a big factor in this and that's great um just we just we got to see Keith Lee in a consistent package, whatever that is. We need him on our TV every week. We need him to have the same music, the same look, the same everything for a month or two before we can finally actually evaluate what he is because everything keeps changing. And he keeps he's you know had to sit out for times for various things. So cautiously optimistic. But mostly I'm just giving this an incomplete because I don't really I I can't I can't mentally invest in what's next for Keith Lee until I
0: trust that it's actually you know, going somewhere. Well, that's the thing. It's like Keith Lee, I'm cautiously optimistic. Damian Priest, I'm pretty pessimistic. But it's yeah. all about what's to come. They, they've made some changes here. We don't know. But first blush, I think Keith is heading in a positive direction. I think Damian Priest may be headed in a negative direction. Uh, Dominic mm-hmm. Mysterio fought Austin Theory on Raw. Dominic pumped Ray up for his ladder match. Theory asked Dominic to take a selfie of him and Ray, which isn't a selfie when someone else is taking it, but still. um, That offended Dominic, and Theory made a challenge for a match because obviously Dominic got offended. Theory did Eddie Guerrero shake and hit a cool uranagi style backbreaker for a near fall. He later hung Dominic on the ropes and hit an ATL for the win. Theory probably needs a new finisher long-term, but he looked solid in this spot with Dominic and obviously had to go over in the match. Theory needs a feud with a strong veteran. To kind of put him in his place, a feud he loses eventually. But for now, he should be getting a bunch of wins uh, and maybe even a couple of upsets before that eventually happens. So I thought it was really good to see young guys go here and get a spotlight to themselves. And it was the right booking with Theory going over Dominic.
1: Yep. It was pretty simple.
0: Did what he needed to do. Not the biggest thing on the card by any means. So it was good. All right. Uh, We also had Mansoor against Mustafa Ali over on SmackDown. Season premiere of a show rematch. Uh, Mansoor hit a flying crossbody. Ali came back with a sit-down powerbomb. Mansoor had a picture-perfect German suplex that Ali sold like absolute hell. Ali then trapped him off a sunset flip attempt for the win in three minutes. Uh, Ali was pissed. Sorry, Mansoor trapped him for the win. Ali was pissed after the finish. Thought it was a total waste of time. The guys didn't even get a chance to work. They just had a 15-minute match on pay-per-view that was good. Here we get a three-minute match on television that wasn't the feud's continuing when it should have ended at Crown Jewel. I don't get it straight up bad.
1: Yep, I, I praise this going into Crown Jewel. Like I said, they they did, they did actually did a good job of building up a solid low card story and gave us the characters in the story and it was what it was and you had your Crown Jewel blow off. To do a rematch right after that, do not care
0: at all bad. All right, uh, Naomi approached Sonya Deville backstage on SmackDown saying they had unfinished business and she wanted a fair match. Sonya was de- dealing with that aftermath of the Lesnar deal and told Naomi to get out of her face. That was literally the whole interaction. There wasn't any pushback from Naomi, an attack, nothing. I'll say bad since it fell flat and I, Shayna Baszler wasn't there to kind of, like maybe maybe Naomi's giving her shit and Shayna Baszler walks behind Sonya Deville. So Naomi backs off. Even something as simple as that, as that would have made it good for me. Instead, I'm just going to say bad because nothing happened and it was almost wasteful.
1: Yeah, I'm a little concerned, you know, they they'd they done a good job building the Naomi Sony stuff week after week and did a good job the previous week of having what they thought was going to be the big moment and then it doesn't. Um, to, not, uh, to not follow up on that, to not have a really good follow-up set, uh, a little concerning. So
0: yeah, I'm giving it a bad. Hope this is not a trend here with this uh, story. And then we also had Carmella versus Liv Morgan on raw. Carmella called herself the diamond of WWE and said, women like Liv are jealous of her. They're still doing this. She said the mask will ensure no one can stop her. Mella got a new rap theme. It kind of slapped. It was also a little generic that like new women or or new women's themes are all just the same type of rap music and trap stuff. Uh, I don't even know why she needed a new theme. They just gave her a new theme with the curtain and then the silhouette. And now they're totally repackaging her a second time. I have no reason, no idea why. Uh, Liv dressed like Chucky uh, for, you know, I guess the USA Network thing and just maybe because she wanted to. Liv slammed Mella's face into the desk, talked a lot of trash to Corey Graves, by the way. Corey and Carmella are now engaged and that's maybe why she did it. Uh, they each reversed pinning combinations on one another. until Mela, so Mella, you know, honestly hit a pretty cool, step-over version of her X-Factor, but she got the win in three minutes. So let's break this down. WWE booked Liv to beat Carmella at the pay-per-view in like an eight or nine minute match that we praised because they actually ended it and they let Liv Morgan win. Ever since that, they met again in the Queen's Crown Tournament. Mella beat Liv. Then They have her debut on Raw, both of them on the same brand when they should have split them up. And they have Mela beat Liv. And not only that, both of them were under three minutes. So Liv, the woman who fans want to win, lost for no reason. There's a heel champion. She should be getting pushed. She should be getting the opportunity, even if she loses, to have a one-off title match. I am so tired of this shit. Not just the three-minute matches but the same women getting wins. And even when you think a feud is over, the other woman coming in because she's the healer the one WWE wants and ultimately getting two wins to keep going. Is this going to continue? Are we really going to get like another Liv Morgan and Carmella match next week? I think we are. Look, fans love Liv Morgan. WWE will not budge. It feels absolutely futile at this point pissed off. I'm pissed to the highest level of pissedivity. I don't give a damn what you people. That's the problem, Vince. No one wants three minute women's matches. No one wants Mela over Liv Morgan time and time again. Bad. I would say ugly, but like the interaction and in the promo and the work rate was actually pretty decent. It was really freaking bad though.
1: People want Liv Morgan to win. They're not going to want her to win for much longer if they keep doing this. But like it's it's not helping. They told the story like twice already. First, Liv had to get into the Money in the Bank uh, match, and then you had the, the 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 stuff afterward. Like you can't just keep telling the story three times in six months. Like she deserves better. She deserves more time to wrestle. She deserves to get over and win and be done with this feud. It's ridiculous. It's 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 like there's zero. It, it's like there are two seconds of thought into this planning and booking. And it's just like, oh, we'll we'll think about it next week. Give Carmella another win. We'll get to it eventually. And they're not going to. And it's a big, big problem because both of them deserve better. Carmella's good in the ring. She should not just keep winning this over and over and over. And this is bad. This is I'm, I'm giving this, I'm giving it a bad because the the women did the best they could. And like I said, it was it was good for what it was in terms of what they did. But everything around it, the booking of it is absolutely. Shameful. Do something with both of them and let Liv get her moment before it's too late. There
0: were two women's matches on Raw. Both were rematches. Both were three minutes. I mean, mm-hmm. and this is a Raw program that not too long ago, you know, six weeks, two months, three months ago, we were praising because while SmackDown was having three-minute women's matches, they would have a, a Shayna Baszler and Jax tag team title match that would go 17 minutes. Or they would, you know, allow... uh Whoever I'm forgetting, <laughs> I'm forgetting what roster was what at the point, but Charlotte Flair, they'd let her have a, a 17 minute match with someone in the middle of the show. And you say, oh, okay, at least they're allowing the women to wrestle on raw. Not anymore. Three hour show, six minutes of wrestling, two rematches. Absolutely pathetic. Lastly, here, before we get to the pay-per-view stuff, uh, just see so across both shows, SmackDown and Raw, there were vignettes for Zia Lee, Ridge Holland, Aaliyah. Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo, they called themselves the hottest tag team, and Veer. There was also a vignette for Sheamus, and I kind of loved it. He didn't fit with the rest of them because you don't need to establish Sheamus. Everyone else needed to be established. But his promo was that no one delivers banger after banger after banger in the ring like him. So I like that we have a sound drop, even though Hit Rose music is in the background. <laughs> but it's true. No one delivers banger after banger like him. I thought that was cool. It felt out of place. Just kind of wanted to say it and play the drop. That's all. Yeah, it was fun. Okay, uh, so lastly here, uh, we're out of the good, the bad, and the ugly. I wanted to note that WWE on Monday announced, they said, their entire 2022 pay-per-view schedule. It's not actually the case, considering there's at least five shows that are, on this that are TBA, although we do know most of the locations. So I'm going to run down the schedule. I know audio, it's, it's kind of tough to hear it. I also did tweet it on Monday so you can read it uh, along while I'm doing this. But they're going to go Saturday, January 1st, day one in Atlanta. Saturday, January 29th, the Royal Rumble in St. Louis. February pay-per-view TBA. No March pay-per-view. Uh, April 2nd and 3rd, two-day WrestleMania in Dallas. Sunday, May 8th, TBA pay-per-view in Providence, Sunday, June 5th, TBA pay-per-view in Chicago, Saturday, July 2nd, Money in the Bank in Las Vegas, a stadium show, Saturday, July 30th, two pay-per-views in the same month, SummerSlam in Nashville, September, that's also a stadium show by the way, Uh, September 3rd or 4th, it's a TBA pay-per-view, at a TBA location, October, TBA, and then November, Saturday, the 26th Survivor Series in Boston. Presumably, it seems, uh, maybe no December pay-per-view again. They're going to try to do this day one-ish, uh, perhaps in 2023, or <laughs> they'll decide based on, I guess, how, you know, interest and ticket sales go for this one in Atlanta. So They should call it day one-ish. <laughs> so here are the takeaways. Um, no scheduled pay-per-views so far for 2022. In New York, Philadelphia, or Florida. I found that interesting. The first, or maybe the second, I'm sorry, second ever SummerSlam in July. I think the first one since the initial one. At least a one month gap at a minimum until WrestleMania. Blood Money in the Sand dates undetermined. At least four stadium shows have been set. The Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, Money in the Bank, SummerSlam, and I believe those are the four. Yes, Yes. those are the four. So pretty interesting. Um, I will say straight off the bat here, looking at this, I love that it's a smaller number of pay-per-views. Right here, based on what they have said, there's 11 shows. Now, do the Crown Jewel shows, the the Saudi Arabia shows, do those add two more? Or does one of them get slotted, such as this October, as the regular October pay-per-view, and there's only one extra one? I don't know. But 11 to 13 shows, that is a good number over the course of the entire year. There's a rumor that the show uh, on Labor Day weekend, which by the way is the weekend that AEW runs its all out show, there's a rumor that it's going to be in the United Kingdom at a stadium venue. That would be a fifth stadium show. Also extremely interesting. However, it would also mark three stadium shows consecutively because you have Money in the Bank and SummerSlam in the same month. I know it's four weeks apart. It's still really close, Possibly another stadium show a full month after that. That's pretty interesting. Um, and and then the number one thing I want to talk about, a lot of Saturday pay-per-views. Not counting WrestleMania, which is two nights. There are already five pay-per-views set for Saturday. I am not a Saturday pay-per-view guy. I way prefer Sunday pay-per-views, especially during football season, uh, Chris, when you and I have to work college football. So I find it interesting as a calendar. Um, I don't know that I'm going to like it at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm with you in terms of I prefer I prefer Saturday, except for during the football season. And generally, the Saturday pay per views are January or Day One Rumble Mania, kind of Money in the Bank at SummerSlam. That's all before football, and then you have Survivor Series. So, they, you know, they, they do the Saturday shows because those are the the, the 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 event, the big event shows where you have a lot of people come from out of town. You want them to come spend some more time. It's right. easier to get to. Right. It, it, it makes sense. The other ones, Providence, you know, even Chicago, you're generally, you're just, you're mostly going to have local fans. So Sunday makes more sense. So I, I get it. I, I don't, I don't really have any strong thoughts on it. The Money Survivor in the Series is, in
0: Boston on the Saturday of rivalry week for college football. That ain't good. Let me just tell you that right off the bat for us. Yes. For that's going to be a problem.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, Money in the Bank and SummerSlam being so close together is interesting. I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm just, I'm mostly just kind of curious how it's going to work, but it's what stands out to me the most is that sometimes there are huge gaps and sometimes there are very little gaps. Money in the Bank and SummerSlam being in the same month versus Rumble and WrestleMania being having two full months between them. Um, I don't trust WWE's storytelling to properly, Uh, handle that in in terms of the way they shorten or lengthen a feud. I think it's going to result in some very strange TV shows with potentially rematches uh, in between. So I don't know. I'm mostly I'm I'm intrigued trying something different. I get it. Um, Still not sure how I feel about no December pay-per-view. It's happening this year too. Feels a little weird, but also because talking about, you know, Mixing with football, I mean January first, college football. That's that's the day, so that's a whole another <laughs> issue for us. So not it's, this year. It's a mix. Not this. year. It's a mixed bag. No, no. no. Well, day one this year, right? Well, yeah. oh no, right. I, I get you. Yeah, because the playoff is at New Year's Eve. I think this year or whatever. Right. So
0: I'm saying, it, it, but that's why that's why they're doing it. That's why yeah. they're doing it this year. The question is, do they take it as we've learned a lesson? right? And now we're going to start doing it in the future in which it would impact us. This year though, it won't. There are not college football playoff games on that day, which is specifically why they're doing it that day.
1: Right, but there still are college football games. and, and, and I mean, the Rose Bowl, anyway,
0: I guess, is that day or something? Yeah, Maybe. so yeah.
1: I'm I mean I'm intrigued. I don't hate any of it. I'm mostly just curious how WWE storytelling handles it, and frankly, I don't have a lot of faith in them to do that, as we, as we talked about at the opening of this show in terms of how you're going to handle a yeah. gap. So My biggest
0: we'll issue, for, at least for me, is uh, the Money in the Bank on July 4th weekend. Now, I, I, I know they did it on July 4th weekend on purpose for travel reasons, because it's in Las Vegas. They want to give people a reason to go there for a stadium show. But to do it four weeks ahead of SummerSlam, they did that this year. It made sense, OK, because they were coming back from, you know, not having crowds. They wanted to do as many big shows as possible, make a lot of money, the pandemic, the whole deal. That was fine. But it, there's another holiday, Memorial Day. I don't know why they wouldn't do Money in the Bank Memorial Day weekend at the end of May. You have a pay-per-view in between that and SummerSlam. And then, yes, if you want to have SummerSlam uh, at the end of July um, for date reasons, I'm sure that they're in that Nashville date because I presume the Tennessee Titans don't want their stadium utilized in August when they have preseason football and then they start off, you know, for the 2022 season. Um, So that's why I'm assuming that's in July. But if you're going to do it that way, then bump Money in the Bank up. But I understand, I'm i assuming either the stadium wasn't available or WWE just didn't want to do that. But having two stadium shows in the same month to me is crazy. Now, I think they're going to- deva- se- It devalues them. I, it devalues I love, them. I like, I like the stadium
1: shows, but you want them to feel like a big deal. And if you're going to have two of them like that, I'm curious what ticket sales will be. And, and if you're one of these I, I really fans am. who's going
0: to travel to these shows- I mean, I would go to Money in the Bank in Las Vegas. I mean, look, Nashville is apparently great, and I'm very excited. I want to go there in the next year. I'm supposed to. Um, but I'm going to Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. Aren't you? Yeah, I, I would much rather go to Vegas than Nashville. So then, for you're, sure, so. then you're picking and choosing And Nashville. You know, if, it would be one thing if it was like Nashville on July 4th weekend and then Money in the Bank in Las Vegas on a random date because anyone's going to go to Vegas at any time. It's the opposite. So I think that's weird. Look, we've had a long show today. We went through a four-part main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly extended edition. And we talked about the WWE 2022 pay-per-view calendar, but we got to get out of here or else this show is going to go on too long. So I appreciate all of you listening. A reminder, the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. About so please drop those five-star ratings and reviews for the Silver King for Vintage on the apple Podcasts, and do not forget to follow us on twitter at getting overcast we still do have an nxt and aew show coming this week i am not yet sure whether that is going to be wednesday or thursday but either way it's going to be first thing that day so please follow our twitter account at getting overcast and i will let you know when to expect that show before the wwe edition obviously today is in the books we will be back next tuesday talking all things smackdown and raw and i certainly hope both of them take a step forward because they have the ability to do that with these new rosters i hope they take a step forward and kind of push away the oddness, the strangeness from these season premieres and actually start telling some stories and featuring some new So for Vintage Cristonini, this is the Silver King Adam Silver Team leaving you with three final quotes. Bye for now.